I would just have to not do it. Like, I'm not going to go to my neighbor and be like, hey. Yeah. I'm doing this <laughs> thing on the internet. You... I turn on the thing and it's just like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> well, the last time was the train, so yeah. why not? <laughs> it's like trains, chainsaws, oh, my. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's the perils of podcasting. I've had uh, I've had all sorts of sounds end up on on shows. Lucky I live in the woods, so there's not a lot to to, to get in the way. But sometimes this used to this used to be like corn grape fields and grape grape vineyards and cows, but it's turned yeah. into like houses in the last ten years. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, welcome to Destination Detour, the poetry podcast where we get lost on purpose. Uh, I'm Josh Romig. Uh, I'm Sean King. Yeah, Sean King. And today we have a special guest, uh, Mongo from IndieFeed. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Oh, it's so great. It's so cool to have you on. I mean, that's like a freaking... I can't believe the last time we got so messed up. Like, I, I recorded it all. It went perfectly. And then all I could hear was my voice <laughs> on, the, on the video. <laughs> that was so yeah, bad. But... So I'm, I'm glad you got. I'm glad you came back because. Uh, oh, I'm I'm glad too. I, I I figure second time's a charm because now we'll know uh, the questions we want to ask this time is <laughs> we won't have to wing it as much. <laughs> Theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, you started this thing called uh, the poetry. Um, was it the poetry? Po- uh, fuck. Performance poetry preservation <laughs> project. P P four performance preservation project. No, I'm screwing up. Performance preservation project. It's a mouthful. It is. If you ever get a podcast for that, though, it could be P five. That's funny. <laughs> you say that because we, we had that exact conversation. We says, "Hey, yeah, with the P four, the P four podcast is P 5 So, and that's actually a, there's a likelihood that could happen because one of the things that could happen over time is that the Indie Feed channel could get kind of morphed into P four, mm-hmm. and that way we end up kind of making a podcast that is particularly focused on uh, featuring historical recordings. Anyway, should, should I give you a little bit of background on what the project is for your listeners? So that yes, they could, uh, yes, yes. Uh, tell, yes. Tell our listeners a little bit about P4. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, the, the project that, that, that Josh and Sean are talking about is, is, uh, is P4, which is the Performance Poetry Preservation Project. And the way this kind of came together is that, uh, as, uh, as some of you might know, I, I run the Indie Feed Performance Poetry Channel, which I've been doing for about the past... Uh, what, eight years, something, some incredibly long period of time. And one thing we discovered as we started kind of doing this podcast and collecting these recordings and putting out these recordings is that there's a ton of historical recordings of the poet, of the, of the slam poetry world, the slam poetry history, which is now at about 25 years old. So this, uh, this movement has been around for quite a few years and it started to kind of uh, gather a lot of historical material behind it. And it's got quite an interesting story. So we, we realized that all those recordings that are being made are starting to age and they are in a very large danger of being lost because uh, recordings that are made you know, on, me- on media that's 25 years old could be on aging media. It could be on anything from cassettes to, uh, to a VHS videotapes to you know, anything you could imagine. It could be what these things are on from, from there forward. And as the technology continues to evolve and to change, if we don't respond to that, if we don't take these recordings and get them digitized and get them in a place where they can be preserved, they're simply going to be lost. And uh, as I was traveling around to a lot of the different venues that are doing uh, performance poetry work, I would be, often be approached by the organizers of that venue and they would hand me a shoebox full of mini disc recordings from, from 2001 or something and they would say, you know, this stuff is, we don't know what to do with this stuff. It's sitting in our attics, it's sitting in our closets, it's sitting on our hard drives. What are we going to do? 
So the idea of P4 that we came up with was that we wanted to create a repository where we could gather as much historical recordings of the Poetry Slam movement as we could, get them preserved, get them converted into good, stable digital formats, get them cataloged in such a way that we have a sense of what's out there. And then this, uh, this large body of recordings, both video and audio, becomes a resource for scholars. It becomes a resource for just poetry fans. It becomes a resource for anybody that kind of wants to do research on slam poetry. And we, we knew that would be important because slam poetry is really one of the most interesting cultural documents uh, that we have because it really reflects what's going on in the world that it that it that it comes from it re, it re, it reflects the zeitgeist of the moment so if there's particular tensions in a society it shows up in the poetry slam and that's true not just universally but regionally you can go to you know Oakland California you're going to hear a whole different set of of topics being discussed than you're going to hear in New York or than you're going to hear in the Midwest so the idea was you know get this get these recordings preserved get them accessible get them in a place where you know the world can uh, can uh, refer to them over time uh, before they get lost and, and it feels like we have this very very close window here that if we don't do this in the next five to ten years then we are going to really start seeing some serious loss of the historical material that's out there so that's the goal that's what we're trying to accomplish that's awesome i like the idea of having those all in like one place too because if like let's say i was a scholar and I wanted to talk about like this certain topic, like LGBT rights in the Midwest versus LGBT rights in like on California, and what's going on in the poetry over here versus the poetry over here. I could easily access both kinds of files and write like a dissertation, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can also be able to say how often was that being discussed on the Poetry Slam stage in, you know, 1995 versus 2000, 2012. And you'd be able to see how that changed, not only not only how frequently it was being discussed, but the way it was being discussed. And I think you're right. There's there's uh, there's dissertations galore that could be written based upon the uh, historical information in the Poetry Slam movement. And it, it's a it's and, and humanists are really kind of very interested in this stuff. You know, people that are historians and are, uh, you know, literate people that are in the literature, literary areas, they're all very interested in having this stuff preserved. So uh, we've had really good responses from the, uh, the, the different uh, academic areas that we've approached with this idea. Yeah, even like anything like socioeconomic studies, like look, studying like poetry of a given region would totally be in that, in that, in that vein also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's why the the catalog that we want to do is is on on several different metrics, several several different uh, uh, topical areas. So we'll want to catalog by geographic region, uh, by uh, uh, by the time period when it was done, by the topics that are being discussed uh, in in the pieces, and anything else that we can think of. You know, that we've talked talked about being able to classify the poets by gender or gender identity, so that we can see how were women talking about this versus how men are talking about it. Uh, you know, you'll probably be able to find lots of different uh, different things you're going to want to track. And then plus being able to just tag it in a freeform way. So if anybody be able to, have you ever, ever seen it, the sites where you can go in and tag photos, yeah. we would like to be able to have yeah. this stuff available so that the public can go in and just tag things. That, to me, this is what this piece is saying. Here's some freeform tagging of what I think this piece is about and see what kinds of interesting uh, uh, patterns start developing in that, kind of, uh, in that kind of tagging. That's really interesting. Like you listen, yeah. listen to a Taylor Molly piece and like, like, oh, hashtag teachers, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because we can do that, you know, ourselves. Just a, a, a cataloger can come up with titles like that. But I think when you have the public ability to do that just on their own, they, they come up with things might not have thought of as a cataloger. Yeah. Now I'm trying to think of like different people I can tag differently. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like 
Uh, Around here, it'd be like hashtag Rust Belt poems, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And the venues, you know, just to be able to make sure that the venue is, uh, is, is, is tagged in each of the pieces so we know where it was performed or, yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, so that's the basic idea of the, of the we're, just to give you a sense of where we are with it right now. It's still very much in the conceptual stages. We've got a, a board of directors, and we are a, we are a nonprofit. We've been uh, uh, we've been certified as a nonprofit, and our board of directors is now meeting and questioning. Uh, whenever you look at doing something like this, like there's lots of legal issues that come up about how do we get permissions from the poets to be able to store this material? How how much are we going to want to be able to preserve just historically versus exposing the public? Um, so we've, we've been having meetings around the country to uh, tackle each of those questions. We had a meeting, the, a two-day meeting, which was just about legal issues recently, and that's why that's on my mind, uh, where we started coming up with a scheme for being able to get permissions from poets and uh, venue organizers and videographers and all the things we need to do to be able to make sure we're covered legally. And so we crafted releases for all that stuff. And uh, so, so you know, we're doing those kind of work right now. We're going to have another meeting probably later this year about cataloging standards and um, how we're going to catalog the material. We're going to do another similar kind of meeting about uh, what are the preservation formats, what's the, you know, how do we need to store this stuff so that we can be sure that it's not going to get lost. And you know, we, we, we've got librarians involved that's helping us out with that. So we've got a good, uh, we've got a good crew behind the scenes here working. Uh, I don't suspect we're going to actually be collecting much material other than what's just kind of flowing to us, uh, <laughs> even though we can't help it with things that get pushed into our hands. Mm -hmm. We're not going to push push to really start collecting probably until sometime probably in uh, in 2014. Uh, hmm. wow. Excuse me, 2015. We are 2014. <laughs> um, are, you, are you guys going to try to store like the actual original form of the material, or are you just going to try to digitize everything and then... Yeah, I think we have to digitize it because most of those original, well, we'll store the objects, but they're going to be stored yeah. as, thought of as artifacts. They're thought of as uh, kind of interesting little artifacts, the CDs and the DVDs and the and the, the VHS tapes. Uh, but we can never be sure that they're going to be readable in the long term. So uh, they yeah. just become interesting artifacts that people can, that'll be in our physical collection, but the actual stuff will be digitized. Interesting. So, I get, in my yeah. mind's eye, I'm imagining like this uh, museum full of like just CDs and cassettes and stuff in like glass boxes and like little like digital recorder you could listen to like yeah. it's probably going to be some of that we actually have some uh, some equipment people have given us like mini disc readers and things like that because it's the only way to read some of this stuff that's mm -hmm. on the old format so wow. yeah we're going to boxing it up i don't know that we're the, the goal is that we want to partner with an academic institution like a library or uh probably an academic library uh, and that they will become the physical home for the actual digitized recordings and then it becomes a partnership between the poetry slam community who's in charge of gathering and indexing and providing all the material which is then handed over to the academic library which actually does the the actual preservation work and holds it and, and manages it. So that we're, we're starting to write some grants and that's how we're going to pitch it is that is uh, it's going to be very much a partnership between a, a grassroots arts organization, which is uh, our grassroots arts community, which is the Poetry Slam community, and the academic world, which is going to, you know, yeah, the ones that actually do the work. That's so weird because like a lot of, I've heard a lot of arguments within like different communities, different uh, poetry communities, this ant, this anti-academic argument or this this uh in the in academic communities i've hung out with a lot of them have this anti-slam anti um like it's not real poetry you know like, yeah, yeah yeah and so it's interesting way to build a bridge 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think you still do hear that sometimes, but it's, it's interesting how you're getting to hear that less and less. I think, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, there was a real kind of an intellectual snobbery on the part of a, of a lot of uh, English departments, which was, uh, oh, well, slam isn't really poetry. But it's been around long enough now, and it's got enough street cred in the uh, academic world that people are taking it much more seriously now than they used to. And and other humanists, other than like you know the English departments, have always taken it seriously because they recognized it as an interesting cultural phenomenon. Even if you don't think of it as literature, mm-hmm. it's fascinating that the culture has created this thing, and so much of the zeitgeist and the, and the angst of the moment is being expressed on the stage. Uh, that alone is just an interesting uh, cultural moment, and uh, it deserves to be preserved for that reason alone. So yeah. even if you don't like it as literature, it's still interesting history. Yeah, that's exactly. Oh, so many cars. Yeah. <laughs> we got all, yeah at least that wasn't a garbage truck like before. Oh, I was just hearing them all in the background of that talk, and I was like, oh, God. Uh, that's okay. It makes it real. Yeah, it's real. It's like, our, it's like our coffee shop noise, yeah. <laughs> Oh so. man, yeah. Some of our earlier recordings, we put like a background coffee shop sounds in the background to like oh, drown out some of the heavy breathing and like random other crap. <laughs> that's a great idea, actually. It makes it sound like you're just a guy sitting in the coffee house. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> like I was gonna keep doing that. I was wondering if I should put it on the videos, but then it just sort of like there's the illusion that's completely broken if I'm doing Google. And you can see people's yeah. faces, but we need, we need to pay waitresses to walk around behind us. With them. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> totally, totally legit. Here comes another car. But that's the great thing about podcasts is that sometimes the rougher they are, the more people like them. You know, the the, the if your production values are kind of low, it feels like a little gritty and real, and people actually really really dig on that. As opposed to sometimes if you're if you're too slick, it's like I don't want it. you're too mainstream. I'm not interested anymore. We're just so wrong. Yeah, if you got. <laughs> So, all right. So, yeah. Anything else about the about P4 or Indie Feed or anything other questions you had? I know. I think we covered several different things last time we yeah. talked before the. We talked the about P4 most of the time this time, but um, Indie Feed. Tell me how that started up. Oh God, Indie Feed. Well, all right. There's a there's a network called that was existed before the Indie Feed Performance Poetry Channel, mm-hmm. and it's actually a network of people that, of, a, of a guy that started this thing to showcase independent music. Mm-hmm. So he would find these songs and he would put them out, and he would put a, usually about 20 seconds of commentary after them. And this was going on for about a year before I started, before I found it. And I, I was listening to it because I thought the music was so interesting because it was really obscure independent stuff. Mm-hmm. So I contacted the guy and I said, this seems like it would be a really great um, way to showcase poetry as well. And would you be interested? And luckily, he happened to be (laughs) this guy that knew a little bit about performance poetry. uh, And he knew some people in the scene and he thought that sounded really interesting. So he just kind of gave me carte blanche to start uh, my own channel on IndieFeed. And interestingly enough, the rest of the IndieFeed channels have kind of gone away. I don't think they're doing hardly any releases at all anymore. The guy that started it uh, has gone on to... Uh, a ton of other stuff. So he's doing lots of other things right now. Uh, so uh, we, we seem to be what's left of Indie Feed. <laughs> but we're now at, uh, let's see, what are we on? Show number, where are we? 1370, I think. Uh, but we're, we're about eight years in, and I think we're somewhere like, what? Eight million downloads, something like that. So it's been, uh, it's been, it's gone really, really well. It's not, it's not huge. I mean, we get a couple thousand downloads on the average show, uh, but the people that have been li- that are uh, that are uh, wa- 
have been subscribing to it. Some of them have been with us just forever. And uh, it's so weird. Now, the thing that I find the most fun about the show now is that I get people that write to me and they tell me they grew up with Indie Feed, which is amazing to me because, you know, eight years old, if you started listening when you were 12, and it was when the show started, you know, you're 20 now. <laughs> so we have these yeah. people that are on the stage now that are, uh, that are, uh, that, that say that most of their formative poetry experience has been through Indie Feed, which just blows my mind. You know, it seems that, that we've been around that long. That pretty well, cool. an exact, that's the exact scenario for me. Like it was like seven, I was 17, 18 when I found Indie Feed. And it was my big, like, I was, I was writing before that, but like I was heavily informed and very um, inspired by a lot of the artists I ran into on Indie Feed. Like Taylor Molly, Anissa Mojgani, uh, Buddy Wakefield, Buddy Wakefield, Buddy Wakefield, totally. Um, and like all of those I heard for the first time on Indie Feed. Yeah, yeah. So. No, that's great. I, I, I'm not sure where, where Indie Feed's gonna go from here. Right now, as you may have noticed, we, we seem to have, our, our format's kind of changing. A lot of people uh, don't like how it's changed, and some people think it's great. We have a lot of guest hosts now that are bringing poetry from kind of all over the world. We have a lot of stuff coming out of the UK, a lot of stuff coming out of uh, the African diaspora from Badalisha Poetry. And uh, then we got some people in the US that are doing more extended interview kinds of shows. So the show is really different now, much more diverse. It used to be just me. Uh, talking about poetry and the ones I have, but now I'm about only about every third show is me, um, which I kind of like. Um, I, as I'm moving into P4, my hope is that I'll be able to kind of get out of Indie Feed, uh, at least as in terms of being the general channel manager, and pass it on either to somebody else that will take on my role or just to a fairly large uh, group of guest hosts that will continue to, to make it run and kind of, mm-hmm. in a way, it's almost like turning it over to the community and letting the community kind of do with it as they will now that it's kind of established. We'll see what happens over, over the years. I, I really don't know how it's going to develop. Yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes, really. Yeah, well, I hope so. I think we, we have a couple people that have done amazing work. Right now, Justin Wu and Pete the Temp uh, and, and some of the other folks that are being guest hosts, they're just they're doing such good work and they're going out there and they're finding really new voices and they're doing these really uh, in-depth interviews, which was never what I thought Indie Feed would be. I never thought of it as being interviews. It was always supposed to be these short little outros after the, after the poem. And, uh, and I always, you know, used to beat on myself because I couldn't keep the outros short. You know, they were always as long as the poem and I was always trying to keep them like about two minutes long. And now we're getting these long 15 minute interviews after some of the pieces. And, and it's hard for me to let that happen because I keep viewing it. It's supposed to be these short things. Uh, but Justin especially is doing such mm-hmm. great interviews and Pete as well. Pete and Pete Beater does just amazing work. So got to keep these, uh, we'll see what happens. Just let it be what it is. I really, to be, I really liked your commentary after a lot of the poems. Um, so that, that I, I kind of like that it's going that route with the interviews and everything. And I tried to do that when I first started this little thing. I, my goal was for it to kind of emulate what you were doing. And um, it didn't really work out that way. It turned out to be more interviews and more conversations. And I kind of like yeah. how, it's, how it's kind of organically becoming, becoming more about like the discussions in poetry as opposed to just like yeah. featuring the poetry. Well, I think that's a good lesson because I've, I've had to really kind of stop being quite so anal retentive about what I want NDP to be. And the, the hosts I brought on have been really good about pressuring me because you know, I'll, I'll push back and I'll say, we need to make these outros shorter. We need to, you know, we need to, and they will push back and they say, but this is really good content. And I finally had to, to say, all right, fine. Okay, we're, it used to be every piece had to be between two and six minutes long. And I'm learning to accept shorter and longer pieces, that that's okay. And I'm learning to accept for longer outros, that's okay. And, uh, 
Yeah, just let it be what it is and try not to control it quite so much. I think that's a that's a good lesson. Well, then maybe yeah, I should probably... resubmit because I submitted, oh, I submitted oh, to you you like um, I don't know how many years ago and like it was too short. It was a piece. Uh, was yeah, too short. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I still have a tendency to. It, it's it's rare that I'll accept a piece under two minutes, but sometimes yeah. I do. So. <laughs> Oh, it's hard for me to write a piece that lasts two minutes. I usually get in there, hit hard, and go. <laughs> well, yeah, and a lot of people, that's their style. And, and, and that's part of the reason why I've started to loosen that up is because, you know, why why do I have that idea? And I think it was just from the beginning, I felt like that was a good balance of a show, a three-to-six-minute mm -hmm. three poem, a two-to-four-minute outro. Yeah. That was that was a good balance. But, you know, people have, a lot of people have told me that, that they, they think it could be, a, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. So podcasts have been changing like there's a lot of podcasts now that are going like, this is too long i think but there are like podcasts that are like three four hours now it's just like jeez oh, <laughs> i know i yeah. couldn't do that who has time who has time to like exactly. listen to a four hour and i podcast. think that i think that was part of my theory which is that you know podcasts are consumed the, the, the long ones people have a tendency to unsubscribe to because they can't keep up and so yeah. I felt like if I put out too much content, which is why it's only three times a week, I thought of make, making it five or seven times a week. But I thought if, at that rate, it would be too much for people. And I would start seeing people drop off because they couldn't keep up. Uh, but who knows? Maybe that's wrong, too. <laughs> well, speaking about podcasts that run too long, we're pushing 20 some <laughs> minutes right now. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's, let's eat our own dog food here. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So I think uh, we're going to call it a call it a day. It was wonderful having you on. Thank you. Hopefully this Great. one turns it's out back. okay. Hopefully, hopefully the audio works on this one and we'll be set. All right. There goes the, here's, the, here's the train, so we're good to go. All right. Exactly. I'll wait. Right on time. All right, guys.